Back in June, uh, right in the, during the last week of my daughter's school year, I volunteered to chaperone a little walking field trip around Andover here. And uh, so I, I walked around with a bunch of second graders and we visited the various war memorials that are in town, several uh, at the park over here and in other locations around town. And so memorials remembering those that were fallen in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the two world wars, Korea, Vietnam. And you know, that, that day and through that experience, I felt like that was such a great exposure for these kids. Great awareness for them because, to be honest, these, these, these monuments are all over our communities. And so in some sense, it's easy to not notice them. They're ubiquitous. They're on the parks and on the town squares and on the greens. And they're, of course, important. But sometimes we don't see them. We don't notice them. But after touring with the kids around uh, this town that day, I, I found myself noticing them more. As I drove around, I saw the, the stone monuments, and I saw the names, and I saw the crests of the different branches of the military engraven on them. And so again, these monuments that have been put there are meant to help us remember the sons and daughters of this community, of other communities, wherever you live, who laid down their lives, who gave their lives in service to our country. And so that's certainly something worth remembering. Well, all throughout Scripture, God's people are commanded to remember, too. The same is true for us as God's people today. Because as we remember, as we are able to take time to reflect on the work of God in our lives, there's something about that that brings encouragement for us, that brings hope, that offers us confidence, that offers us peace, that he will lead us through again. Remembering for us as believers helps carry us through challenging times sometimes as well. But in our busy lives, in our society, I don't know about you, but I find that it's often hard to take time to reflect and remember. Most of the time in our, in our busy world, we, we are compelled to think about what we want now, or what we are seeking now, or what we may seek in the future. But this sacred exercise of reflection is often lost on us, and yet it serves us well as believers. Well, today's text, then, is an important reminder for us to remember. This morning, we continue in our Joshua series, and in today's text, Israel is commanded to set up these piles of stone, these memorials, to remember a, a mighty act of God that we're going to see that enabled his people to enter the land of promise, that enabled his people to enter Canaan, this, this, this fertile land that was promised to their forefathers generations before. And these memorials that they are commanded to set up, they, these are not as, as ubiquitous as the war memorials in our various communities, and yet they are still meant to help the generations remember God's faithfulness. 
The other difference with these memorials is that they weren't meant to honor men, but to honor God. Not meant to honor men and women who laid down their lives in heroic ways, but to honor a God who has acted on behalf of his people. So for Israel, their deliverance from Egypt, which we explored in our Exodus series, was purely at the hand of God. This people and the provision they experienced in their wilderness wanderings was purely the hand of God. And even now, at the end of this long journey, as they're on the edge, as they're on, uh, on, on, on the threshold of this land promised to them, even there it is the hand of God that leads them in. So in Joshua 3 and 4 this morning, I think there's three things that kind of feature prominently, three things that just jump out of this story for us, and these three things are instructive for us as well in our lives. And the first of these is that we have to let God lead. Letting God lead. God's people had to let him lead in this remarkable story. And we too have to let God lead in our lives today. But the second thing that really gets at this notion of these memorials, these monuments that are meant to be set up, is the importance of testifying to God's works. But then as we testify, the last of these that we see, as we look at the purpose behind all that the Lord commanded to his people, is that this testimony impacts the generations and the nations. And so as we consider this story and as we look at this word and as we think about our own lives and our own hearts and our own journey, let us pray that God's spirit might speak to us. And so God, we thank you again for your word as we approach it. We thank you that you have made a way for your people throughout generations. We thank you that you have made a way for us to know you and walk with you and be forgiven by you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God, as we consider this story, as we read these words, would you open our hearts and our minds to trust you and to follow you more faithfully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see is letting God lead. The Ark of the Covenant features prominently in this story. And the Ark of the Covenant, if you're not familiar, it's this, it's this most sacred, special piece of furniture in Israel's worship. God commanded the construction of this Ark in Exodus chapter 25, and so it's essentially a four-foot-long by two-foot-deep by two-foot-high box that is laid with gold inside and outside. It has a solid gold lid and it has these two ornate cherubim figures on top with wings spread one to the other. So it's this most sacred piece of furniture that the people are commanded to construct and then to include as part of their tabernacle, their place of worship. And so this ark lived in the most holy place in that tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the high priest would, would sprinkle blood of sacrificed animals on it to make atonement for the sins of the people. But not only is it a, is it a special, sacred piece 
inside of it is contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments. So the tablets of God's covenant with his people. The terms of the covenant, if you will. Because God not only dwelled with his people, he entered into this special relationship of faithfulness and love with them. And that was remarkable in the ancient world. And so we have here in this story out of Joshua, we have this Ark of the Covenant carried by priests. And it is the priests carrying the Ark that lead the way. We see in verse 2 and 3, after three days the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then we see the fulfillment of this in verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And so the fact that here we have the Ark carried by the priests, the fact that this is leading this whole crossing experience signals to the people that this is undoubtedly the, the power of God, the hand of God, which is orchestrating this whole miracle. According to chapter 3, verse 15, we see that as soon as the feet of these priests touch the edge of the water, that the waters are cut off, that the waters pile up in a heap miles up the river. God's leadership here is critical. God commands that his, the Ark of this Covenant and the priests lead the way. The hand of God was parting these waters, but then as the priests are commanded to stand right in the middle of the river as the whole nation passes through, the hand of God opens the waters and secures their safe passage. But again, remember, this, is, this isn't only the presence of God. For, for God's people, seeing this whole thing unfold, this is a covenant God. This is a God who has made promises to them who he is seeing through and ensuring will come to pass. You know, as we read about the Red Sea crossing in Exodus, in some ways a more, a more famous crossing of a body of water, we see there a pillar of cloud and fire that is protecting the people and leading the way. Moses, of course, is instrumental in that one as he raises his staff to part the sea. But I thought, as I thought about this story, I thought, why, why wasn't it that again? Why wasn't it the pillar of fire and cloud? Why wasn't it some other manifestation of God? Well, in the years that have passed since the Red Sea crossing... As God gives his people this covenant, this law, God is revealing more of himself. And so in this ark, which is the resting place of the presence of God in the tabernacle, this is a progressive revelation of who God is and how he wants to relate to his people. And so it's appropriate that now it's, it's, it's the ark, it's the sacred special place which houses the tablets of the covenant. 
But another thing that God has since ordained since that Red Sea crossing is, is a priesthood. Is priests who are to lead the worship of God's people. And so now in this moment, in this crossing, it's his ark carried by his priests. God's leadership was important in this moment for Israel. And God's leadership is important in our lives as his people too. According to God's word, as we consider the story of God and what scripture reveals to us, as we look there, we, we, we see and we have to come to terms with this reality that there is a great separation, a great barrier which keeps us from life with God. And that's our sin, that's the rebellion that lives in each of us. But then as Jesus comes on the scene, we see how Jesus is God's provision for us. Jesus is the one who is able to bridge that separation and lead the way for us to know and walk with the God who created us. And so part of letting God lead in our lives looks like the Spirit of God first leading us to the cross of Christ. And there, by repentance and faith, we enter into this relationship that he has made a way for. But in the life of faith, the Spirit continues to be with us. The Spirit continues to lead us to the cross. The Spirit continues to lead us to the gospel and the good news of Jesus. God continues to lead in our lives as we allow him, as we navigate challenges, as we raise kids, as we work unto his glory, as we seek to live faithfully on our journey, and all of this requires that we remain dependent on his leading. Well, in the story in Joshua 3 and 4, there's a couple details that I think are, that we notice. And these two details highlight Israel's utter dependence on God at this time. In chapter 3, verse 4, the narrative notes that Israel had never gone this way before. It, this was uncharted territory for them. They hadn't done this. They hadn't experienced this. They're entering into land that's in many ways unfamiliar to them. This great body of water they're to cross is unfamiliar to them. They didn't know the way. And so the presence of God goes before them to lead them on a safe passage. And so they don't know the way. But the other thing we know, which is intentional, in verse 15, we note that the river is at flood stage. So at this time of the year, it's significantly wider and deeper than it is at other times of the year. I mean, if God's going to part water, why not do it when it's at its highest, right? And so here the people are at this raging river at flood stage. And they just have to trust the hand of God. They have to trust his leadership. And then what happens remarkably is that God stops the flow of the river for a stretch of 16 miles from the city of Adam down to Jericho where they're crossing. 
In our lives, we often face experiences which we have not faced before, where we don't know the way to go, where we don't know what to do, like Israel in this moment. Other times, our lives feel like they're at flood stage. We're overwhelmed with what's coming at us, and we trust God. Well, friends, how do we allow God to lead in our lives? I think the answer is simple and yet important. And it's a life of prayer. Prayer signals to God and it, it signals to our own hearts that we are open to God, that we want to be aligned with him, that we want to be led by him. And so it's in the space of that quiet time, that intentional quiet time, that we cultivate God's leadership for us. We don't always know how our prayers are going to impact things or drive things one way or the other, but we trust that in the mysterious space of prayer that God is cultivating his leadership in us. Several years ago, there was a book that came out, and the title of it was Too Busy Not to Pray. Did you catch that? Too busy not to pray. It's written by a guy named Bill Hybels, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't even read the book, because all I needed was the title to feel convicted and to feel compelled and challenged that the fuller my life gets, the more I have to lean into prayer. The fuller my life gets, the more that I need to stay grounded in that way, to stay aligned with God and desiring his leadership. So friends, to let God lead, let's pray. Let's pray with our spouses. Let's pray with our children. Let's pray with friends. Let's pray with other brothers and sisters in Christ that God has given us to grow with. And not just the perfunctory prayers. Pray before the meal, yes. Pray before the meeting, yes. But pray like you mean it, like you're seeking God, like you're dependent on God believing that he will show up and guide you. So the first thing in this text that's crystal clear for us as God's people is letting God lead. But then the second piece is this notion of testifying to God's works. And this is a huge focus of this account. And so it's here that we observe God's command to set up these memorial stones, to set up these piles of stone that I led with in this sermon. And in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, the Lord commands Joshua then to choose 12 men. He says, choose one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and tell these men to go into the middle of the river and to take up 12 stones. He says, go exactly to where the priests stood with the ark as the nation passed by and grab stones there and create a monument. Create a memorial. And so as we follow the story, it seems that we have two piles of stone that are set up. Look at verses 8 and 9. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. 
And now Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Well, it seems that Joshua set up one pile of these stones right in the riverbed itself. And so, theoretically, when the river ran a little lower than it was at flood stage, theoretically, God's people could see this. Each generation could see this monument. You know, we've had some adventures this summer with my family and with my kids where we're at a lake, and one of the things that I'm trying to teach them how to do is to skip stones but you've got to find the right ones. You've got to find the smooth ones. And depending on where they are, they can be easy to find just right at the shore. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. But in this story, God says, no, go to the middle of the riverbed and grab the ones from there to show the world that this was unmistakably my hand at work and my power on display. So Joshua sets up one in the riverbed, and these other stones, as you see, they're taken to where Israel is going to camp. So they've crossed. They're now on the west side of the Jordan River near a place called Gilgal, and they set up there a second memorial. And so at Gilgal, the the stones that are set up there testify to what the Lord had done that day for his people. Joshua's memorial in the middle of the river testifies to precisely where the miracle happened. But then what's the point? What's the point of these memorials? Well, it's clearly stated in verses 21 and 22. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So God's intention, God's purpose with these piles of stone was generational remembrance. This transfer of a memory of what God had done for them. And of course, God gives Israel a number of feasts and celebrations and observances as well. We think of the Passover meal, for example, observed by the Jewish people through millennia. But here we have a tangible Reminder in these stones. Well, in our individual lives, but also in our corporate life together as a church, as one expression of the body of Christ, this remembrance is important for us. This remembrance in your life, in my life, looks like being intentional to tell our kids and our grandkids or other young people that God calls us to invest in about how God brought us through a dark valley, a dark season, about how God healed us, provided for us, transformed us. God has ordained that the generations transfer this collective memory, testifying to what God has done for us. Many of us have had times in our lives where it was unmistakably the hand of God the provision of God that brought us through. So we have to remember and testify to that. But then as a community as well, we testify. Corporately, we testify to what God is doing. As you, as you heard at the beginning of the service, or maybe you were 
involved this past week. We had our annual vacation Bible school in our, in our space here. And it's, it's really a special week of ministry. And so we thank again all those who were involved, who served, who helped. And so, you know, sort of the, 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 the corollary to what was happening in Joshua's time is, for example, for us to look at all those props that were used, all the junk that was used in the storage closets around this building, or, or to look at the pictures that were scrolling and to, and to say to each other that God was with us that week. Maybe generations from now, people will look back at those pictures and say, what, what was that? And, and we'll say, you know, God made a way for us to have this beautiful partnership with other local churches. God mobilized an army of volunteers for us to share the love of God with children, and to share his gospel. So as God does things in our midst, we testify, we celebrate. So friends, in your life, I encourage you to reflect and then to testify. So God has always commanded his people to remember. God ordains for these piles of stone to serve that purpose. But then as we see right at the tail end of our text for today, is that this remembrance and this testimony has missional impact. Missional impact on the nations and the generations. So the first sort of short explanation that the Israelites are to give to their children when the children ask, what's that? Is that God's people cross the Jordan on dry ground. But then in verse 23 and 24, there's a more expansive explanation. Let's look at that. It says in verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And then notice verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So again, the, 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 the context for this explanation is future generations asking parents and those that have gone before, what is, what is that stone monument? What's that about? And so we are reminded here of the importance of that generational testimony. But it's not only important for the generations, it's important for the nations. Because as we see throughout Scripture, these signs and wonders, these mighty works of God, they're meant to send a message to the nations. They're meant to send a message to the watching world around us. The works of God in your life are meant to reach other people. As we saw in the Rahab story from Joshua chapter 2 last week, there, there are seasons in the life of God's people when the nations are drawn to the Lord and into his people through these mighty works of God. At times, the nations harden their hearts and don't believe, and at other times, God uses these to draw the nations into his heart. So as we seek God's leadership in our lives, as we share the testimonies, the promise for us is that that will impact generations and nations.
The point is that your story is meant to be used missionally. Your story is used by God to reach other people and draw them to him. And your story, friends, doesn't have to be dramatic. But as we bear witness to the healing that we've experienced, the transformation that we've experienced, the power of God in our lives, God uses that to draw others to himself. And we may never fully know the impact. But this is precisely how God has ordained that his kingdom advance in our world. Friends, in this story that we looked at this morning, Israel was walking by faith. Imagine those priests stepping their foot into the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They're walking by faith. Their faith is compelled by the word of the Lord, the command of the Lord given to him. And friends, as we look at the word of the Lord for ourselves, we see that our faith is rooted in a God who came to us. A God who recognized the great separation caused by our sin and by our rebellion and initiated a rescue plan in Jesus Christ. And so the barrier that separates us from life with God Jesus leads the way that we might cross it. And then God continues to lead the way. God promises you his spirit. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. And he invites you to live wholeheartedly for him until the day when we all enter our eternal rest. And so friends, let him lead. Testify to his works and reach your world. Let us pray. And so, God, we do ask for courage and faith to live this out. Lord, we do thank you for your hand of provision in our lives. We thank you for the transformation that we've experienced. Lord, help us to cultivate a life that lets you lead the way that we might see your works and testify to the world. Thank you that you have called us friends. Thank you that you have called us partners in this great mission. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.